Well, welcome. We are glad you are here today. Welcome to the orchard. And I have some news for us. As you know, we've been um, involved in Operation Christmas Child. And we had a goal of 700, which would be more than we've ever gotten. It would also set the record for the entire Rocky Mountain region of Operation Christmas Child. And um, it looks like next year we'll have to go for 1,000 because we are 758 as of today. Yeah. So well done, every one of you who packed boxes and brought them, and all of you who um, packed them online or donated. And remember, we're not just sending toys and trinkets to kids and stuff they'll use. Um, Three children every minute are saved through that ministry around the globe. The gospel goes forward. That's why we are so involved. And Orchard, I'm so proud of you as a church. I'm so proud of you for each stepping up in your way, and, uh, and praise God for that. Today we are focusing on, in John 17, on a prayer that Jesus prays, and he actually prays for you specifically in this prayer. Now, when we talk about prayer, it reminds me of a story about a businessman who was late for a very important meeting. Uh, This meeting would greatly affect his entire financial future, and so he pulls up to this large complex where he'll he'll be presenting, and he, he drives up and down each lane. He can't find a parking spot. His time is running out. He's getting desperate, and so finally... In this desperation, looking around, knowing he needs to be inside any minute, he prays, oh, uh, Lord, if you help me find a parking spot right now, I promise I will go to church every Sunday. And right at that minute, as soon as he prayed that prayer, this car right in front of him backed out and pulled forward, and there was this beautiful parking spot right there in front of the entrance, and he said, never mind, God, I found one. (laughs) Prayer is an interesting thing. Today we're looking at Jesus praying, but we're not going to so much focus on how we pray. We're going to focus on what he prayed for us. Because there's something in this that if we capture the challenge, and I'm I'm promising you, this is challenging. If we capture the challenge and this changes our perspective, Orchard, we will never live the same. John 17 verse 1. After saying all these things, remember Jesus is walking. The last couple of chapters have been him saying all these things about persecution, about how he's the way and the truth and the life and how we should love one another. And they're now approaching the Kidron Valley where they'll cross, they've left town, approaching the Kidron Valley, they'll cross the brook and they will begin to enter the Garden of Gethsemane where he's gonna pray individually. But right here after he speaks these things, as they're walking, Jesus, it says, Jesus looked up to heaven. He's going to pray right here. Now, we notice a few things about the way Jesus prays. First of all, he didn't stop and say, hey, guys, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Didn't fold his hands. It says he looked up to heaven. We're going to see that Jesus prays um, with a full heart, and he prays with full expectation. He said, Father, the hour has come. And for any of you who've been tracking with us through the book of John, this should have some bells go off in your head because over and over, I took all the references out because it takes too much time. Over and over, Jesus refers to the fact in John, my hour has not yet come. John records him saying this. It says when they tried to arrest Jesus a few times, they couldn't arrest him because my hour, my time had not yet come. But now as he readies himself to enter the garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to pray with intensity and anguish. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. They couldn't arrest Jesus previously because his time had not come, but they will arrest him within hours. The time is up. 
The other thing we notice here when Jesus starts his prayer, he says, Father. He prays, Father. And this is a vital point I must stop and make. That prayer must be personal. Prayer must be relational. It must be born from the soil of relationship. You are a child of God praying to God your Father. A child of God praying to your Father with all your hopes, all your gratitude, your fears, praying your authentic emotions to Him in relationship. A prayer life that is not relational, unfortunately, will be transactional. That's, I pray, God, I pray, and, and you give. And, and for many of us, prayer has become this kind of vending machine where if I say the right combination of words and I believe just the right thing, then God will dispense an answer to my prayer. It's a transaction that I have to pray it just right for him to, to give me what I want. But God wants us to pray relationally as Father, It's to our Father in heaven, and and also we should pray with expectation. Jesus, he said, Father, the hour has come. And what does he say? Glorify your Son so he can give the glory back to you. This is the request of Jesus for himself, but notice the very nature of it. Glorify me, Father, so that I can give that glory right back to you. Whatever you give me, I will give it right back to you. So often when we pray for something, uh, if we ask God to do something in us or, or God to do something for us and our motivation is, is us. But Jesus, we see his motivation. The true motivation of his prayer was that God would be glorified. So, so don't just ask Jesus for something that would benefit you. Live a life that, that has a, and have a prayer life that brings glory to him. If you want him to move in your life, how does that movement bring glory to him? How can you always give the glory back to God in the answered prayers that he gives you? Jesus continues, and I want you to know he's speaking third person here. He says, Father, you have given him authority over everyone. That's speaking about himself. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Jesus right here sums up his mission on earth. To glorify God and to bring salvation Eternal life to those through his sacrifice. And the next verse, he flat out gives us the answer. How do you get eternal life? Listen to this. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It is to know God, and it is to know Jesus, the one sent to save. The word Jesus uses here for know is vital. It changes the entire dynamic of this verse. You see, the Greeks had different words for, for knowing and knowledge. And I fear that in our American church culture, church, church culture, in, in churchianity, we've been using the wrong word when we talk about how we know God. We've been using a different Greek word than Jesus uses here in John 17. Because there is a Greek word for know that means general knowledge or a grasping of information, an understanding of the information and the facts. I know about God. I know about Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus died and I know Jesus rose again. But that's not the knowing that leads to salvation that Jesus is talking about. The Greek used here in this verse shines through because the Greek word for know, it's, called, it's a word called ginosko. Ginosko is knowing, it is knowledge gathered through personal experience. Ginosko is 
intimate personal knowledge. Gnosko is how you know your beloved and your, your spouse. Gnosko, this is not general phone book knowledge. This is not memorizing facts. This is not knowing that God is who God is or just knowing that Jesus died. This is knowing God through personal experience. This is intimately knowing Jesus personally. A good friend of mine, He's an elder here at the church. His name is Jake Cure, and him and his wife, Brady, have been expecting their first child, which is an, a miracle in itself, if you know their story. Now, now Jake, being my friend, he, he's, been pre- pre- he's been preparing the best he can to be a dad. You remember that before you had your first child, and you're like, okay, what do I need to do? And so he's been asking us pretty consistently, let's see, consistently what do I need to know as a dad? Like, what, what would you tell me? And so a couple of the guys were gathered around him, and we're like, well... You know, we give him some wisdom. You know, we give him some, some, some tips, some dad hacks, some information. It's, it's hard to tell someone what they need to know to be a dad because he, it's going to be 2 a.m. in the morning and he's going to be covered in foreign substances. Like, how, how do you tell somebody that, you know? Um, but we passed along the, the ageless wisdom that we had. We passed along the information and the dad hacks. And the information we gave Jake, he filed it away for future use, but I watched it. As we told him, even the greatest wisdom we gave him, it didn't really change him. It didn't affect him. But just a few days ago, I went to Valley View Hospital birthing place where Jake and Brady had given birth to a beautiful daughter named Maggie. And I waited there in the waiting room, and he came down the hall, and he was wearing a mask, but his grin His smile was so big, I could just see it all over him. He walked up and gave me the biggest hug. His his eyes were filled with tears. He was crying, and he said, she's perfect. (laughs) He was overcome. He was overjoyed. Jake was a dad. That is gnosko. That's the difference in knowing. Jake knows what it means to be a dad, and he will never be the same. All the head knowledge, all the tips, and all the information, that didn't change him, but the experience of holding little Maggie in his arms will never leave him the same. That is gnosko. That is the difference in the way that God wants you to know him versus know of him. That there should be some experiential change. There should be some impact. Jesus died for me. He forgave my sins. He, he changed my past. He gives me hope in my present. I'm not left alone in my circumstances. He's with me and he gives me hope for the future. There should be some, some difference of gnosko when we know Jesus in that way. All the head knowledge and information that, that we, we have about church, oftentimes, can we admit it doesn't change us. Information doesn't lead to transformation. Information doesn't lead to salvation. Knowing facts, knowing a verse even, is different than gnosko, knowing God and knowing Jesus as your Lord. Do you have an intimate, personal knowing that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you know deeply down in your heart that he died and rose again, took his sins upon himself, and at some point with, with emotional impact of just a knowing, an experiential knowing that Jesus saved you, it marked your life and you will never be the same. Orchard, this is an important point because many of us have come to believe that, 
that the things that we know, the facts or the information that we know somehow saves us. That I know Jesus died and rose again. I know about some verses in the Bible. But that's not the knowing that Jesus says saves us. And I, I just feel led by the Spirit in this moment. Because there, there, there is somebody in here who's never prayed to receive Jesus. Who's never said, I want to know him in that way. I want to, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray that. To, to, to pray to, to give your faith to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus and receive him. But there's another group I want to talk to, and that is those of us who may have sat in church for decades and we know it all. We know it, but we are unaffected by it because it's not gnosko. We have not had that personal, experiential, intimate moment where we know that Jesus has transformed us. Like when my little son Elijah, when he prayed to receive Jesus, he, he came to this moment, he wanted to pray and he received Jesus and he was like shocked after we were done. He like something jolted him and I said, buddy, buddy, what are you feeling? And he, you know, he's, he goes, a, a joy explosion inside. Like there was, there was something and, 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 and I want to give you the opportunity for somebody in here to move from knowledge about God Knowledge about Jesus to knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And so with that said, I feel led. Let's just stop and pray. And if you would repeat after me. Father, I know you sent your son Jesus. And he died and rose again. Jesus, you did that for me. I accept you into my heart. I declare you my savior. Take my sin and shame and you give me hope and a future. In Jesus' name, amen. It causes me to ask these things of, and if you did pray that, whether here in the room or, or with us somewhere else, would you email me? Daniel at theorchardlife.com. I would love to discuss with you what all that this means. Um, it also makes me ask this question. When was the last time you had an encounter with God? Like, this is an important question. Because if God said, if Jesus said we're to be knowing God and knowing Jesus with Gnosko, when was the last time you had a personal encounter, an experiential encounter with God? It's one of those things, Orchard, I believe we should pursue. We should pursue him in the word. When we have worship, we pursue him in worship. We pursue those, we pursue those encounters with God to know him, to have experiential moments with him because with tears in our eyes, like Jake there in the lobby, we will never be the same. Here's a great way to summarize the difference between uh, gnosko, experiential knowledge, and just knowing things. Jesus, um, later on in the, in the Bible, is, is crucified between, between two criminals. Spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, he's crucified between two criminals, one on one side and one on the other, and, and one of them begins to mock Jesus. And the other criminal turned and with a, a faith-filled heart spoke faith-filled words. That criminal nailed to that cross, suffering. Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't think that that happened in a small group like, I don't know, I, don't, I would just guess his church attendance wasn't that great. He never got the chance to get off the cross and tithe. He didn't get to go preach or, or join a program. Within hours, he declared faith in something in the substance of his words and heart that only Jesus and God would know. He crossed from, from death to, to life and salvation. 
And Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. There was something of knowing Jesus in an experiential way. He never got to lift his hands in worship, but he had gnosko, and it changed his entire eternity. Jesus continues his prayer. He says, Father, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I brought you glory by completing the work you gave me. Jesus had work to do on earth. And as he did it, it glorified God. And I just want to remind you, God put you on the planet for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says this, God created us brand new in Jesus through salvation so that we can do the good works he planned for us a long, long ago or in advance. That he has works, good works he planned in advance for you to do on this earth. And when you do them, it glorifies God. Have you ever stopped to ask or, or think, Father, what works, what works do you have for me today? You, it says he planned them in advance for you. He has opportunities for you each day. This is a question worthy of asking every morning. Father, will you reveal the works you have for me today and give me the courage to say yes at those opportunities? What, what do you want me to accomplish during my time here on earth? Because the truth is in your everyday life, you have good works to do for God. In your everyday work, you have good works to do for Jesus. But here's the deal. He won't force you to do them. He gives you these opportunities. And maybe you feel these prompts sometime to, to give to somebody or to speak up to somebody or to, to share your faith somehow. You, you have this opportunity, but you shrink back. That is a good work that God planned in advance for you to do. He's not going to force you. We get to choose those things. And so God give me the wisdom to recognize them and give me the boldness to step into them and to say yes. Now here's the deal. When you step into those good works and when you, whether, when you do them, whether big or small, whether personal and private or public, it glorifies God in your life. Orchard, God has works for you that only you can do. He's given you the personality you have. Turn to your neighbor and said, he did, good, he did good with you, yeah? He gave you the personality that you have. He put you in the place where you are he equipped you with the gifts and the talents he gave you. He's placed people around you that he wants you to reveal Jesus to. He's put you, he made you who you are, where you are, when you are, with the people around you to do good works, to, to reveal the Father and bring glory. What works does he have for you today? Verse 5, Father, bring me into glory we shared before the world began. I love this, I love the thought of this. If you've been with us for a year, in John 1, we talked about how Jesus is the divine, eternal, present at creation, present before anything, fully God. And here he's ready to return to the glory. He's ready to return to the fullness of the relationship he enjoys with the Father. His hour has come. He continues, I have revealed you, I've revealed you, Father, to the ones you gave me. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me. A closer translation says this. I love it. It says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me. I have manifested your name. Jesus is God's name manifested here on earth for people to see and to touch and to hear from. God's name, Yahweh, God, the great I am. Jesus is the I am manifested in flesh. And tuck that tidbit away because in a future sermon, we're gonna see the power of the manifested I am. Jesus says, I manifested your name to reveal you to the people. They were always yours and you gave them to me 
and they have kept your word. Jesus came to earth to complete the work from the Father. And it says here that it was to reveal God to the ones God gave him. His work was to reveal God to the people in his life. And the same is true for you. The exact same is true for you. Your work is to reveal God to those that he gives you. Your work is to reveal God to the people he puts in your life. So whenever I get to that point and I land on a truth like that, I have to stop and say, how am I doing? You, you've planned works for me in advance. You've, you've placed me where I am to, to reveal you to people around me. How am I doing? Am I revealing God to the people he's given me? Am I revealing God to the people who are in my work life, home life, recreation life? Am I completing the work here on earth that he's tasked me to do? The work of God is amazing. It has eternal results. Eternal results. Because when you reveal God to people and they receive that, their eternity changes. There is eternal return on investment. All work, all other work here on earth is absolutely temporary. I can't take my business to heaven no matter how big I build it. I can't take my retirement to heaven. I can't take my work to heaven. But heaven's work, the work of revealing God to people far from him, that is eternal. That lasts beyond my last breath. It lasts on in those people who choose to receive. And Jesus continues. He says, I'm not asking you to take my followers out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus is leaving, but he leaves people here because we have work. He says, I'm not taking them with me. We have work to do in his absence. And he says, please keep us safe from the accuser. That's the name of our enemy, the accuser, who wants to, even now in this service or when you're listening, accuse you of the sin and the shame that you should be living in, that you are unworthy of any of this. That is the voice of the enemy. And God, pray, Jesus prays, please protect them from him. And then he says something striking. My followers do not belong to this world any more than I do. When you belong to Jesus, when you come to him and become a Jesus follower, you no longer belong to this world. Philippians 3.20 says, because of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. 1 Peter 1.17 says to consider, during your time here on earth, you are a temporary resident. The word there for temporary resident means to be a sojourner, which isn't a word we, we use all that often, but sojourning is a temporary stay. It's a layover before your final destination. Jesus says, you do not belong to the world because you belong to me. How does this change how we live? How should it change us? If we fully embrace this reality, if it sinks into our souls, the entire perspective of our life, how we see our life, how we see our work, and how we see other people immediately would transform. There is truth in this challenge, Orchard, to change your life forever that we do not belong to this world, that we are citizens of heaven, that we are temporary residents, sojourners. You see, when earth is our home, when we consider earth as our home, we settle. But when heaven is our home, here on earth, we serve, just like Jesus did. When earth is our home, we, we live as residents, but when heaven is our home, I live as a revivalist because I am on this planet to bring spiritual awakening to people around me. I'm not a resident, I'm a revivalist. Wherever I go, Father, bring a mini revival. If I go to City Market, if I go here, wherever I go, I walk the earth differently if I know this is not my home. 
When earth is our home, we can often see our days and our time is mundane. But when heaven is your home, then you have a mission. You're always on mission. That's why being a Jesus follower should be an adventure, not a religion. And man, we got that mixed up, right? Because here's the deal. You're only here for a short time. And you're here for a purpose. You have a mission. You have work to do. And God has gifted you specifically and individually to complete that work. Your life has a divine calling. It says in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of your calling. If this is true, if this is true, then Orchard, we must live a life worthy of the great calling he's given us. Listen, your body may, your physical body may be American, but your soul isn't. Your soul's a citizen of heaven. Your physical body may have a president, but your soul has a king. Your physical body may have a job and and labor and things to do, but your soul has a calling and a mission far more important with eternities at stake. Your physical mind may have concerns on this earth that keep you up in the dark of the night, but your soul was designed to shine the light of Jesus in the darkest valley. Your physical emotions may love it here, but the Bible is clear. We are passing through, and instead we should be loving God and loving people so that as we move through this life, more people know him. I'm here just long enough to do what God has asked me to do. And my prayer is that in doing what he asked me to do, because of how he moves, that there are other people who arrive at the same destination because of the way that I shed light on Jesus. That's how we should live our lives. That those around us who we reveal God to would arrive at the same destination that we do. Here's an illustration. Do you guys remember high school? <laughs> some of you are going to have a really hard time. It's a while ago for some of you, right? Some of you are still in high school. But remember high school, how, how it was all strange and fun and terrible at the same time? It was just a mess, wasn't it? Fun sometimes, and you know, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone has a different perspective. My wife would never go back and do it again. I, I would love to do it again. High school is just, I mean, it's just the craziest time. And I was a youth pastor, so I got to be up front and close and work with high schoolers. But one thing that's interesting about high school is there's a currency in high school, and it's popularity. And no one likes to admit it, especially the cool kids. Oh, I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah, you do. It's the currency of high school is popularity. And people will turn their back, and they will date, and they will do sports, and they will, I, we will work ourselves to exhaustion to earn the currency as much as we could. And then something happened. There was a day in 1994 where I put this string from one side to the next, and I walked out of that school, and all of a sudden, all the currency that I had accumulated over four years, poof, was worthless. It didn't matter. It, it was so important for such a short time, but it made no difference later on. All the popularity currency that the kids work so hard for is worthless in their next life. And guess what? All the social and all the financial currency that we work so hard for in this life is worthless in the next. I'm a citizen of heaven. I have a destination beyond this world. You and I, we do not belong to this world. We are sojourners passing through with a mission, with a calling, with a purpose, with gifts and talents to accomplish that mission so that we can invest ourselves in eternal things. I want to invest in eternal things, the hearts and lives of people, that they would come to know him. Think of it this way. A missionary is someone who has a mission. 
And that mission is to go to a foreign land on a heavenly purpose to reveal Jesus to the people around them. If you believe in Jesus and you're hearing or watching this, that also describes you as a citizen of heaven. You are in a foreign land on a heavenly purpose to reveal Jesus to the people around you. That's who you are. But a missionary is only a missionary as long as they're on mission. Imagine with me a missionary who travels to a foreign land, has a big moment, an exciting moment. I'm, I'm traveling, I'm, I'm gonna go do this. He travels to this foreign land to, to go reveal Jesus to people around him. He gets there and he really likes the food, first of all. Not only that, man, he, he really starts to enjoy this, this culture. He gets a side job, you know. He gets some success. In fact, it starts to grow and get bigger and, 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 and it becomes his primary occupation. In fact, it's going so well and things are moving, it begins to keep him up at night. <laughs> he, he's thinking more and more about his life here in this culture and how to move ahead. He, 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 he joins a local club and some organizations, begins to lobby for the agendas that, that he thinks are right for the, this area. And then he, he stops talking about Jesus so much. He, he starts talking more and more like the culture. He, starts, he stops valuing Jesus' mission above this new culture. And slowly over the, over the course of a life, lifetime. He simply blends in and looks just like everyone else. And by the time his flight arrives to take him back to his homeland, he has totally forgotten why he was sent there for. But he was sent, he was commissioned and called to go to that place to reveal Jesus until he was called home. But he got enamored with the culture and he blended in. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to this world. Don't conform to the culture of this world because you don't belong to it. Instead, reveal the culture of heaven to those around you. The beauty of love and grace and forgiveness. The beauty of unity instead of polarization. The beauty of forgiveness. All these things reveal Jesus to those he's entrusted to you. You have works to accomplish in the lives of those he's given to you. Jesus continues in verse 17 by telling us how, how to not conform to the world's culture. He says, Father, make my followers holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. This is important to catch. He says, God, make your followers holy by your truth, the truth of your word. The word of God is something that we take lightly oftentimes. It gathers dust. It's hard to understand. It's hard to know where to get in there and read it. Jesus says the word of God would be something that we are experiencing. When we read the Bible, listen, when you read the Bible, don't read for information. That's not gnosko. Read to find God's nature. Read to have an encounter. Read to have an experience. One thing I've been hoping through this book of John that we've been going for almost a year is that in and through this, you have begun to see the nature of Jesus, the way that we're called to live. As you read his word, let's not just read for facts and information and a nugget for the day. Read to have an encounter because the word has truth in it that helps us be holy. Holy, that's what he says. Holy means set apart. Not only do you not belong here, God has set you apart for something. Set, set you apart from the world's way of living. And there's two words in the original that, that kind of are these, these big religious words I want to dust off. And one is that it would sanctify you. That means to purify you, that God's word would purify you and renew you, and also that it would consecrate you. That means to separate you from what is profane. That as I'm studying God's word and as I'm getting it in me and I'm getting into it, that it is separating myself from the things that God would ask me to say no, for, no to. And I'm saying yes to the ways that he wants me to say yes. 
And as you grow and mature in your faith and calling, it is God's word that leads us in ways of truth. And as you mature and as you grow in truth, he cleans us. He separates us from the profane things of this world and culture. We're called to not be a part of it. And this is, his word is what guides us in those ways. And so, so far, if we've been tracking with Jesus in this prayer, we see that we belong to Jesus, not this world. That we have work he has asked and planned for us to do in advance because we're only here for a short time. We're called out of this world for a holy purpose. And then, we'll see the next verse, we are commissioned. He says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them. I am sending you into the world. Jesus sends you out on this purpose, a temporary sojourner here on earth, and you are to go. You're called to go do good works. You're equipped with good gifts. You're strengthened by his truth, and he has given you people around you. And he says, go, I'm sending you out. Then he says, for all who will ever believe in me, in Orchard, pause right there, he is talking to you right now. In this prayer, right down there in the Kidron Valley, Jesus is praying for you. For all who will ever believe in me, I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Something, something about our unity shows the world that, that we are sent by God. May they experience such perfect unity in the world that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prays this for us, that we'd have this amazing unity, that our unity in the church would mirror the unity in heaven. Jesus said the world will know us by our love for one another, and here he says the world will know him by our unity with one another. One of our orchard values that's, that's written on our wall and that we, we talk about a lot is unity. Unity is our story. That part of who we are as a people is that we lay down our earthly differences because we have something much bigger in common spiritually. We, we, we lay down in this church the earthly divisions. You may be sitting next to, be careful here, you may be sitting near somebody who voted different than you. But here at the orchard, I love that because we have a king. We're citizens of heaven first and foremost. We keep the main thing the main thing. Unity in the church is, is something the Spirit of God repeatedly in the Bible led them to write over and over. Unity is our story because Jesus is above all things. And Orchard, I have to say, is, is your pastor. I'm so proud of us for this. I talk to a lot of other pastors, and, and I have a, well, a friend of mine is a counselor to pastors, and to hear the stories from 2020 through the, the, through the pandemic and through the politics and the churches who have shut their doors, the churches who have gone through incredible, excruciating pain. Orchard, I'm so proud of us that we have come through this um, with unity, putting earthly issues below us because we have Jesus above all. And I want to just continue to double down on that and say, here at the Orchard, it is Jesus above all issues. Mandates and masks do not affect my mission on this earth. Pandemics and politics do not change my purpose on this earth. It doesn't matter who's in the office. It matters who's on the throne. And I will love God and love people regardless of what mandate, regardless of who, what politician, regardless of any of it. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm purposed. I'm called. I'm equipped. In Orchard, you are too. 
We're called to have unity under Jesus, regardless of all this earthly stuff, because our purposes are heavenly. We are, we are citizens of heaven. We can go about doing heaven's business. And that's what we're going to get into. Your citizenship is divinely in heaven. And so we want to put heaven's ambitions above whatever earthly occupation you have. The main thing is Jesus Christ above all. You belong to him, not of this world. He created you how you are. He placed you where you are. He put inside of you what you need for this mission. He's given you a calling. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a position. And he's given you a number of years to do it. So while we are here, we want to live the way he designed our life to be. That we would go all in while we are sojourning here. That when I leave this place, I am on mission to go and reveal Jesus to whoever he has given me. So while we are here, we live for him. We go forth and we speak on behalf of Jesus. We go forth and we serve on behalf of Jesus. We go forth and we we spend on behalf of Jesus because everything else is temporary. We are temporary residents and we, we can't take anything from this world with us. So let's go all in on what's eternal. The hearts and the spirits of those people he's given to us. Let's go forward as Jesus did in this prayer. He he shows us what it means to live a life. You don't belong here. You're just passing through. God's given you good works in advance. You get to choose it. And that good work is to go forth and glorify God and reveal Jesus. That is why you're on the planet. That's why you're here. And his spirit wants to infuse you with peace and power and wisdom and the words to say to go forth and do it. Orchard, there are people in your life right now who need you to step into your divine calling. God put you in their life for a reason. They need to see Jesus. We want our friends, we want our coworkers, we want our people to end up in the destination that we end up in. But we must go forth and be light and shine there. Every single week when I preach, I, I have this, this, this amazing thing happen. I do my best, but I know I'm not a good enough preacher to change one person's heart in life. That is the Holy Spirit's territory. So I pray that he does that. And I've been praying for you guys all week that during this message, some of you would be stirred to go forth and live a life with the purpose and the design the way he called you. That you would invest in eternal ways in the people And so I would pray that as we end this, that you would just put your hand over your heart and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I pray that you would burn this into our hearts and lives. I pray, Father, that you would show us that we belong to you. We do not belong to this earth. Father, I pray you would reveal to us that we can let our reputations go. We can go all in because we are only here for a short time and there are people who need us. So, Father, may our hearts burn with the mission and purpose you've given us. May your Holy Spirit burn and speak through us. May we not be able to escape this reality that we are here for a calling and a purpose. And everyone said, Orchard, as we go into communion, you're going to have the the elements of the, the body and the blood of Jesus He invites you into this life by his death, by the shedding of his blood. And so right there where you are, the first thing you pray is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your sacrifice. And anything you would need to ask forgiveness for. And then I want you to stop and say, God, what does it mean for me 
to reveal you to the people in my life? Who have, ask him, who have you given me? And have him show you some people who he has put in your life for you to reveal Jesus to. And then Orchard, I want you to, to sing this next song about Jesus' passion for you and how he moved, moved everything to get to you. Because in some senses, we're called to go forth like him, courageously and boldly to move in the behalf of others. Spirit, speak to us.